You can take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning as we continue our series, War with the Flesh. Kind of catch it up to date with where we're going in the sermon series. Uh, it will be lasting for a while. The first few sections, first, uh, verse, uh, first sermons, we're looking at just what this battle, who's in the fight and where we're fighting, what the fight looks like. Then we're going to take a little break for Easter and celebrate the resurrection, really God's victory. And then after Easter, we'll come back to the battlegrounds, the actual places that we fight these fights with the flesh. Uh, so today, last week we looked at, we were talking about sarks, what the flesh is, that, that inside of us. So last week we were talking about the war from within, the combatants, our flesh, our, our, our old nature and our new nature, our flesh and our spirit, and they're this kind of inside battle that we have. Um, and what that kind of, who that is, and what we kind of called the enemy within. Uh, the, those two combatants that are struggling for control in our lives. And we talked about, you know, the sarks, the flesh being this capacity to, to rebel against God, to, to oppose God and to, to do what we shouldn't do. It's really even maybe more than capacity. It's more kind of a bit to do those things, almost a magnetism, a, a drawing to do what is against God's will. Today we're going to probably, and, and I'd like us to consider those, that battle, that internal battle really combatants. What today we're going to look at is really our enemy, the, the truest sense of who our enemy is. And it's not the enemy within, it's the enemy without. That yes, we have this battle and part of this war we're fighting is with ourselves and within us and that we take responsibility. But we should never not realize the truth that there's an enemy without. The truest sense of enemy. Uh, someone bent on your and our destruction. My uh, theology professor in seminary, Dr. Hammond, uh, he had this suggestion for us. He said there's two strategies, and if you don't understand who I'm talking about, obviously the enemy is Satan, the devil, and his cohorts, those who would seek for our destruction. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so, yes, we do have a, a, a internal struggle uh, between that sarks, that flesh, that old nature of ourselves and our new spirit born nature that's going on inside. But at the same time, we're struggling with forces outside of us, heavenly forces, forces from a different realm, supernatural, spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness, uh, forces of rulers and powers that are out against us. And so we have this enemy from without that we need to address, too. Dr. Hammond suggested this enemy had, had really two strategies in our world um, that we needed to be aware of. And, and so I want to just kind of share these with you. I think the first strategy that the devil has is what we will call demonstrations of power. He pointed out that in around the world, especially kind of in underdeveloped countries, third world countries, uh, countries uh, maybe where... Um, 
education may be a little bit lower or people are a little bit more attuned to the spiritual. People are a little bit more aware of a spiritual. They may be more superstitious. They may uh, have a, a tradition of being more aware of evil spirits and so forth. That Satan tries to use demonstrations of power around the world. In, in these places is where you'll hear about, uh, if you talk with our, our, our missionaries who have been to these countries who are around the world, they often see kind of demonstrations of power. That's where you hear about people, you know, fighting spiritual battles all the time. And, and that Satan tries to be, and, and you notice I got power in parentheses there. It's kind of like he tries to be the barking dog, you know, uh, but he's on a chain. And so a dog can bark and scare you and it makes you sound like he's really, really ferocious, right? But it's really just bark and not bite because he's limited in how far he can go. I think about, I had this big giant Labrador at our old house, uh, about a hundred and some pound chocolate lab. And he had that deep roof, roof, roof bark, you know, that was just terrifying. And, and the way the house was set up, he was fenced in. Uh, but he could, uh, it, the fence lay up where you could get under the front porch where the front steps were. And one day we had the, uh, the UPS man, uh, was delivering a package to our front door and he comes jogging up the thing and he, he bounding up there and he hits the first, second step and he didn't know that Remington was under the porch, under the steps. And he hits the first step and it's raw, 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 raw. And he goes, And he just stood there and I, I happened to go to the door and he's still like frozen. And he's like, where's he at? He's on me. He's on me. I'm like, he's under you. He's under the porch. He can't get you. Oh, okay. No problem. And he, he went ahead and delivered the package. He's like, I just knew he was on me. He was, I could hear him. It terrified him and put it, it froze him in his steps. Well, Satan, I think that's what he's trying to do in these cases. He's kind of that large, loud, barking dog. He's trying to say he acts more powerful than he actually is. He scares people. He wants people to be intimidated. He wants people to freeze in their tracks. He wants to to scare them to death as he tries to show demonstrations of power and demonstrate that he's maybe the most powerful being out there. And that happens in those places. There's a second strategy that he seems to be And this is the one I think you and I need to be the most aware of. And it's delusions of denial. My professor would suggest that in in other countries, uh, maybe especially in the USA, that he likes to delude people into believing that he doesn't exist. Just the simple denial that there is such a thing as Satan. And and, And my professor would say, you think Satan... It's bothered by people not believing he exists. You think he's out there trying to, no, 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 you need to be aware I'm here because I want to, I want, no, I think he's happy deluding people. And the word delusion means a false belief or opinion. The idea that Satan doesn't exist. I, I found it interesting. I've shared this with you before. I, I went to the uh, website of the National Church of Satan the satanic church and they have a statement of faith and what they believe and so forth and so on in their statement their statement goes something to the effect that they believe satan is a symbol of evil uh, or a power but they don't actually believe satan exists they, he's just a symbolic figure of 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 the worst part of man and that we have put what we believe are the bad parts, what we would call evil within humanity. And we've kind of personified that in this figure, this, this, uh, unreal figure of Satan. So the Satanic church doesn't even believe Satan exists. 
uh, a delusion of denial. And I think there's many Americans, many, many of us who are just happy believing Satan doesn't really exist. There's no such real thing. He's just kind of symbolic of this evil that we see within humanity. Ben Stein, uh, Ben Shapiro, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a, a very conservative apologist, uh, a guy who likes to, uh, or debater. He goes on, on campuses and argues for very conservative values. I, I was recently watching uh, a video of him and someone was questioning his ability to, to speak to anything because he didn't have a doctorate in this particular thing and a doctorate in that particular thing and a doctorate in that particular thing. And so they were trying to say, you know, you're not an authority. You don't have an approved degree, so you can't really speak to such and such or speak to such and such or speak to such and such. And, and, and Shapiro was arguing that, you know, common sense doesn't have to be backed up by a doctorate, that it can just be common sense, that we can be logical without having someone verify our logic uh, or, or give approval. And so what he said, he said, you're making an argument from authority, that I need to have some authority backing up my argument or my argument's not valid, is what he would say. He said, so I never make an argument to authority, is what he would say. And he said, that's why I never quote the Bible. He said, because when you quote the Bible, you're making an an argument of authority, saying, well, the Bible says, here's my authority, and so thus this. Well, unlike Shapiro, I should and do make an argument to authority. And my authority is the scriptures. And that's what we choose to do, that our argument is all based on authority. Here's what our statement of faith, our statement of faith at this church says. We believe the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. That it has God as its authority, salvation for its end, and truth without error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and supreme standard by which human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tested. The reason I point that out is because someone is falling under the delusion of denial. It's either us who believe there is an enemy out there or it's those who are being deluded to believe there is no enemy out there. Someone is being deluded into the denial, either of his existence or of his absence. And what I want to do today is appeal to my authority, the scriptures, and say to us, it's not us, that the truth is there is an enemy out there with whom we struggle and my appeal is to that authority the scriptures and so we read this passage verse 12 again our struggle is not against flesh and blood and that one that's used flesh for that body it's not a physical struggle really we're not struggling with other people or things uh, of this realm But against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so I want to confirm today with you, according to our authority, our chosen authority, the scriptures, we have a real enemy. 
He's not a figment of someone's imagination. He's not the boogeyman that we think's hiding under our bed. That there is a real person, a real being of evil, Satan, and his minions or his cohorts or his demons, as you would want to refer to them, that are in a different realm with which we're actually struggle. He exists. He is real. So as we think about who he is, let me give you three things that we can pick up from this, this passage telling us about the reality of our enemy. First, he is, or we have a real enemy who is paranormal. Got three P words for you. Para, beyond, normal. <laughs> He's beyond the normal. Uh, you know, when we hear this phrase paranormal, we usually think about Bigfoot, ghosts, UFOs, and I don't know where you fall on, what is it, Area 52 or 53, whichever area where they hide the 51. I knew I'd get that wrong. Or if you want to run up, how many of you saw the, the finding Bigfoot thing where they went up to the Kinzu Dam and there was a big, they got responses from Bigfoot at the Kinzu Dam. There, there's a video, there's a, there's a TV show finding Bigfoot and they were at Kinzu and, and they knocked on the bridge with a stick and something knocked back. And so they're like, there's Bigfoot. So he's up there if y'all want to go find him. Watch out, Keith, next time you're in the woods. Find him for us. We usually think of these kind of things that we kind of make fun of almost. You know, we talk about paranormal things, things that are beyond the normal. And and, and if we're not careful, we'll let Slayton, Satan slip right in there with Bigfoot. And the Yeti and UFOs and ET and all those guys that, yeah, that's kind of that paranormal world, right? But the Bible confirms to us in this passage that there is a realm that we do not see. There is something beyond the normal. Maybe it's right to call it supernatural. It's beyond the natural world. And we believe that God exists. Hopefully you believe God exists and God is supernatural. He, God is paranormal, beyond the normal, the beyond what we call normal, beyond what we see in this existence, beyond the natural realm, there is the supernatural realm. And because he can't be seen, it doesn't mean he's not real. And the same way with God, that we have to have faith in God to believe he is if we want to please him. If we're going to defend ourselves if we're going to fight a war against our enemy we have to believe he exists that he's real and just because he's outside our realm of experience outside what we call normal those of us who believe in the supernatural realize where he's at it's against these powers these heavenly places that we fight a war and that's real And so we must realize he is this beyond normal. He's also personal. Notice what it says. It says our struggle for our struggle, not their struggle. It's a very, it's most, I know there's some English. This is a personal pronoun, right? For us. 
And so this fight, this war, he's not just a enemy. He's not the enemy of the world. He's my enemy. He's your enemy. He's our enemy. He's a personal enemy. He's not just out to see destruction on a worldwide scale, but it's very personal. Uh, it's part of the gospel. The good news of Jesus we share is often wrapped up in this, that you can have a personal relationship with God. You can have a personal relationship with God. I want you to do this. I want you to say, I, then your name, can have a personal relationship with God. All right? I got that? So, I, Jason, can have a personal relationship with God. It's personal. God loves you. God knows you. Jesus died for you. God wants you to be saved. And God wants you to live with Him forever in heaven. It's one thing to say that Jesus died for the whole world. It's a whole nother thing to own it and say, Jesus died for me, for my sins. And if I was the only sinner in all the world, in all of history, Jesus still would have died for my sins and my sins alone. That's a personal gospel. And that's good, good news. The bad news is our enemy is also personal. He's not out just to destroy the world, but he's out to destroy it one person at a time. The enemy, he hates you. The enemy, he wants to kill you. The enemy wants nothing more than you to be destroyed. And he wants you in hell. And by the way, it's not with him in hell. It's alone in hell. I'm convinced that one of the greatest tragedies of the eternal place, the eternal damnation of hell, is not that we'll be there with other people. is that we'll be there completely alone. Because... When you think about it, in the beginning, God created us as an expression of community. Let us make them in our image, right? The community that we were made. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So what Satan's going to do? Make us all be alone. And so he doesn't even want us to be with him in hell. He just wants us to be completely alone. And he knows you. He has a strategy for you and against you. And you are on his mind as he schemes and thinks about ways of your destruction. And so we must realize when we fight this battle, this is a personal fight. I'm not just fighting against Satan so I can save the world. I'm fighting against Satan and his dominion so I can save me. This is a fight for my life. It's a fight for your life and you're fighting it personally. The third thing I want us to understand is, yes, he's powerful. At least we must give him the credit that he is beyond us in so many ways. That when we read this passage, look at the look at the description here. Rulers against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, in a, in a realm different than this natural world. That's pretty intimidating. 
you know, to, to lower him down to the barking dog may not be completely fair because he certainly has more power than that. He's certainly a lot more dangerous than a dog on a chain, but he's not beyond God. And so, yes, we will recognize he's powerful, that we fight a fight in heavenly realms. And all that should make us do is realize if I'm going to fight a fight in a heavenly realm against a spiritual being, I need heavenly help. I need spiritual help. And we're going to come back to the rest of this passage in two weeks. One that you're familiar with, you know, the whole armor of God preparing for that battle. In two weeks, we're going to come back and, and, and prepare ourselves for the battle. Today, I want us just to see the enemy for which we will prepare to fight. At least that external, that enemy without. And so we will come back to, to preparing ourselves to, to face this powerful enemy. But I want us to see not only who he is, I want, what he wants. That there's something he desires. And so here who he, here's who he is again. He's paranormal, he's personal, and he's powerful. That's pretty intimidating to begin with. This is the guy who's against you. Maybe you should say that. Satan is against, and then use your name. Ready? Satan is against Jason. He's out for you personally. But what is it that he wants? What is his intent? What is his, his desire for you? What does it mean? Realize he has only evil intentions. There is no good. There is no fun. There is no hope. There is no love. There is no happiness. There is no joy. There is nothing of good in his intents. His intents are only for evil. Extreme evil is how I put it in your sermon notes. From First Peter. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion, Seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Be alert. Know this, Christian, your enemy, your adversary is like a lion and lions do what lions do. Now, I don't know what this lion's chewing on, but I can promise you this. At one point, it was recognizable. It was a gazelle, it was a zebra, it was a chicken, it was whatever it was. I don't know what it was before. I know I can't tell what it is now. And that's what your enemy wants to do to your life. Take something completely recognizable and turn it into something you can't define anymore. I can't tell you the number of times when I counsel people, quite often the truth is by the time people come to a preacher for counseling... It's bad. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's real bad by the time they finally get to the end of the room. So, well, I guess I'll go talk to the preacher, you know. And I hear this phrase, I never thought I would be here. I never thought it would get this bad. You know, my life was this. And now because of this, I've ended up here. And I never thought I'd be here. I never thought my life would be like this. I never thought it could be such a mess. It's completely unrecognizable. Yep, 
That's what Satan wants to do. Completely destroy and make our lives something completely unrecognizable for what God intended it to be. And that's what lions do. Where did my slide go? Well, that's interesting. There was a slide right here of a man posing with his pet lion. A guy from Czechoslovakia just last week. There he is. This is his pet lion. This guy is a Czech guy that had this lion in a cage for I don't know how long. And you can see the wonderful relationship they had with each other. Rubbing the lion's belly. One day last week, this man's father went to visit him. You can probably guess what he found. His son's mangled body in the lion's cage. And people, I showed that somebody this morning, I said, well, you can't blame the lion. The lion's doing what the lion does. It's his nature. Maybe you heard about the lady this week in San Francisco. I think it was San Francisco, whatever. It was some, some city was San Francisco. She crosses the barrier so she can get a selfie with the panther. And the panther reaches out and grabs her and starts chewing on her arm. And, and I was so thankful when the, the zoo sent out news. We're not going to put the panther down. We're not going to shoot the panther because we put the barrier up to save people. And she got in there with it. And the panther did what the panther's going to do. And so we're not going to hold the panther accountable for that. My point is, that's the nature of our enemy. He does what he does. And he may roll over on his back for a little bit. He may let you cuddle up next to him for a little bit. He may entice you in closer saying, hey, get close with me and take a selfie. Take a selfie with me. Don't worry, I'm behind this cage. I can't get to you. And then he will pounce. That's just what he does. Know his nature and his intent and not play around with lions that seek to destroy. But the truth is, the Bible tells us a little bit more about him. So why is it, if this is so, if this is the truth, then why is it that so many people climb in the lions then? Why are so many crossing the barriers and putting themselves in danger? Well, the Bible tells us one other truth. Where? Huh? He's a master of deception. Can you find that one for me? There you go. The Bible tells us he is a master of deception. This is the way we like to think of him as a lion. No offense to C.L. Lions, by the way, and their mascot. I should have got the mascot to come down today and run around the church. And we'd all give him a high five and hug him, you know, when he's at the ball games. That's what all the little kids want to do. He's a cute little cuddly lion. And that's what we want to think he is. John 8 tells us, you are the father, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, that's just a straight statement. When the devil speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's pointing out the devil's nature, that he is a master of deception, that he is a liar, that everything comes out of his mouth is bathed and rolled in a lie. And it's a truth wrapped up in a lie for someone's deception. He's trying to deceive us. And yes, he is one kind of lion and he portrays himself as another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us about 
false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder they do this, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. In the end, their, 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 their end will correspond to their actions, is what it says. Anyway, he's pointing out that Satan masquerades. He hides. He presents himself as something didn't, different. He makes everything look better. He makes everything sound better. He makes every thought we have in this war sound more reasonable. Well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? Isn't this the truth? You know, doesn't that, won't it just bring me a little bit of pleasure for a while? This looks so much better. These are all lies trying to entice us into range of his paws. This is the truth. And so he makes it all sound better, look better, feel better, just trying to be deceptive. That he presents himself as our friend, as someone who's just trying to help us loosen up a little bit, someone to enjoy life a little bit more, to, to, to have all those things that God's holding out on us. That, that, that there's pleasure and there's joy and there's happiness to be had that God knows is out there, but he won't let us get it. And he's holding out for us. And really Satan is the one who's looking out for us and our ultimate joy. He's a master of deceiving us. There he is. One other truth is we must realize not only are we at war with this powerful being, master of deception, who seeks only your personal destruction, we fight behind enemy lines. We are not in heaven. We are on this side of the battle line. We call it often in this setting, in our church setting, the world, the secular world. That's where we live in. First John 5, 9 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the devil is called the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Acts 26, 18, we find that Jesus commissioned Paul to open the eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. The truth of the matter is right now, this is the devil's world, that Satan could be the bona fide honor of this world. We serve, we fight a war, and we are the ones behind enemy lines. In our own culture, we see some of the, we see some of this in the amoral and immoral banter of TV talk show hosts. The host and audience are virtually all the same. A herd of morally desolate groupies committed to unthinking doctrine, relativism, regularly calling good evil and evil good, approving of the actions that others would not by nature approve of in any sense. The evil empire, this world in which we find ourselves fighting this war, often shows itself oppressing, sometimes giving license to debauchery, and both are typical of a world that is diabolical. And I, and, I, and I don't see a trajectory in this place in which we call normal, which we call the world, in which we live and serve, getting better. 
that it becomes increasingly anti-God, anti-Christian, and anti-truth all the time. And that's where we serve. We fight against heavenly powers, but we fight in a present existence. And so we must fight the instinct to one, turtle up, where we kind of just turn in on ourselves, we just kind of go into our shell and don't worry about the world that's out there. And we also have to fight the urge to surrender. I mean, when you think about that, that this is the war that's going on with inside us, we're fighting with this enemy who's out for me personally, who's powerful, who's, who's beyond the normal. He's seeking for my destruction. He knows every lie that I'll buy into, and he's a master at telling me those lies. I mean, it's not really good news. I mean, don't it just kind of make you feel a little bit hopeless? And when you look at what we're up against, don't you like, I'm just going to go to church and keep my head down and mind my own business. And, and, and do I really want to engage in this kind of warfare, the spiritual warfare within myself and for this world? Well, let me tell you, I think we should. I, I want to give you some encouragement today. We fill our Christian minds with some great, great stories like this one, some great Images and great verses. We memorize these. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a wonderful verse. I see a lot of athletes have this tattooed on their body. One of, one of my favorite, one of guys I followed, uh, a fighter, he had it on his chest. This is not a promise to athletes to be successful. This is not a promise to students that, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that test I didn't study for, I got. Because God's going to give me the strength to take this test. These promises were given to Christians so that they would not give up hope, so that they would not turtle up and turn inward, and so they would not surrender in the fight. That every one of these are given in the context of fighting a war with Satan. Fighting a spiritual battle for our lives and for the lives of others. That we can do all, we can conquer through Christ who strengthens us. Not be successful in our job, not be successful in our life, not to accomplish some goal we want to in this world, but that we can be victorious in a spiritual battle. That's what that's given for. So be encouraged. You can do this. We can do this. We can fight this war against this powerful enemy through Christ. Who strengthens us. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. What do you think he's talking about there? Winning the spiritual fight. We are more than conquerors. Romans 8, 30, 17. In this world. Behind enemy lines. You will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage. Don't surrender. Don't turtle up. Because... I've overcome the world. You might be behind enemy lines, but the day is coming when I will bring you home. So behind the lines, fight the good fight. Don't give up. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power. Why are we called to a fight that we can't win? Why are we called to fight a heavenly fight? So that the power belongs to God and not to us. That when we have victory, it is victory for our commander and not for the soldiers. 
We are able to win so that Christ will be recognized. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. We fight a a mighty battle. Our faith is what will overcome and bring victory. And finally, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a mighty enemy we face. He's been on our destruction. We're behind enemy lines. Things have never been bleaker. But thanks to God, the victory is secure in Jesus Christ. He won it on the cross.